I'm Lindsay. You're Lindsay. <laughs> do we want to do that again? No, let's just keep going. I'm also Aiden. <laughs> yes, you are. I'm also Lindsay. Yes. You're also Aiden. Uh, that's true. We've this established we who out. we are. Yep. Um, you're listening to Bickering Peaks. Yep. Um, welcome back. Welcome back. We've been gone for uh, a wee while. Yeah, it's um, been about two months, two and a half months or so since our last episode. Um, yeah, we had uh, a few things going on in our lives that kept us away. Um, my new job, obviously, mm-hmm. was uh, keeping me... Busy. busy. Um, now teaching a bunch of unruly junior high school students, none of whom know I have this podcast at this point. Yet. By yet. the time they listen to this, they might <laughs> they, they have may. found it. So yeah. if, if you are a student in Miss Stamhuse's grade <laughs> 7, 8, or 9 ELA classes, hello. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, also uh, my grandmother passed away in October, um, which really threw me for a loop. Um, she had a very, very short battle with cancer and... Um, and went downhill quite quickly and that was quite shocking and mm-hmm. so um there was really no impetus for me to dive into the world of david lynch um while i was dealing with my own <laughs> grief and emotions. you didn't want to watch inland empire while i really you're upset? didn't no, i really, really didn't okay well, um, but but i do feel like grandma would would appreciate the, the weirdness of, of Inland Empire in her I do I really do and and I, I'll tell you why in in her later life my grandmother um, really embraced what her grandchildren there were only three of us um, she would go to my brother my youngest brother's um, band concerts like he's in a, he's in a rock band um, so she would go out to these like hipster joints downtown with my mom and like rock out to my brother playing rhythm guitar like uh, she just she really embraced what we were doing as as her only grandchildren. So I feel like um, she knew that I had this podcast that we were doing this podcast. I don't think she ever she and she knew that Twin Peaks existed. Like she had this vague recollection of Twin Peaks existing in the eighties and nineties. Um, she had no idea what it was, but I think that if if she had been in better shape and and you know we could have. Um, watched maybe not Inland Empire but um, <laughs> That's a some of maybe David Lynch's short films and I think Grandma would have appreciated it or would have tried to and I think that that is, that is um, the best uh, tribute to her that I can offer is that she, she was always very um, she just embraced the things that, that we loved and that was her and I miss her tremendously um, so I guess dedicate this episode to Graham. Mm-hmm. Um, anything going on in your life, Aiden? Uh, I have switched jobs still with the government. Yes. That's the it. government of Alberta. Yep. Yep. I'm otherwise unchanged. So <laughs> my life is, uh, incredibly boring, um, which is great for podcasting actually. Yeah. Uh, cause I, uh, watched this film that we are about to discuss today. Yes. Um, again, and I did it willingly, uh, yeah. because I kind of enjoy it, but also, kind of don't and we'll get into that in in a short while Um, uh today's episode we uh invited nick and dylan of the 119 podcast to come on our show um a reciprocation of them allowing us onto their show to discuss part 16 a couple of weeks ago um so we will get to them in a second um but we figured rather than just have the two of us bickering because i really do not like inland empire it's kind of like the way aiden hates Eraserhead hate the baby not the whole movie okay but but it tainted your view of the movie uh yeah it did. yeah, yeah. so that, yeah. so rather than just have the two of us 
bickering back and forth, which we know that you love so much. Um, we wanted to get a couple more opinions about what this film was about and and what it means and how it fits into the the Lynchian canon, um, because as we all know from watching this film, there are myriad ways of interpreting it, watching it, understanding it. Um, so the more the merrier. Yeah, we yeah, thought definitely. So without further ado, we will jump right in with Nick and Dylan of One Hundred Nine discussing Inland Empire. Welcome to Bickering Peaks with Aiden and Lindsay. So we are joined today by um, Nick and Dylan of the 119 podcast, podcast, which is super exciting. They had us on their show a couple weeks ago Mm -hmm. and uh, to talk about part 16, to talk about part 16 of Twin Peaks, the return. And uh, so we're super excited to have them on here um, to help us kind of make sense of Inland Empire. So welcome, guys. Thank you. Hey, how's it going? Not too bad. Well, I mean, we I had to watch Inland Empire again, so I'm I'm not in the greatest mood right now, let's be real. This is not my favorite David Lynch film. So I'm really excited. That's another reason why we wanted to have other people on the show is because for this particular episode, because we knew that it was gonna be just me shitting on this film and Aiden exalting the greatness of this film and so we needed some other opinions so yeah. to balance out <laughs> what what the dynamic mm. here. Yeah. Um, but before we get into that, uh, we thought we would just, as we do with all of our guests, um, ask you how you got into Twin Peaks and or David Lynch in general. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know who wants to go first, Nick or Dylan, but. You said Nick first. Nick, you're up. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, so, yeah, I first became acquainted with Lynch when I was a teenager i don't remember exactly what age i was but i saw blue velvet that was the first thing that i saw Mm. um my stepfather had rented it from blockbuster and was like oh man you gotta you gotta see this movie dennis hopper is hilarious (laughs) and i was like i and so i went into it expecting like sort of a a whimsical comedy and was just (laughs) absolutely uh, insanely horrified oh my god was like what what in the world are you showing me right now and um i i can't say i enjoyed it that first time around but it definitely stuck with me and a couple years later when i started getting more seriously into film and whatnot i um decided to start getting a little bit more into david lynch so i i think after that i watched Mulholland drive and uh from then on it was really just a full-blown obsession i burned through his entire catalog um, pretty quickly. I think it's hard for me to place a time frame on this, but I think that it must have been right around the time that Inland Empire was released. Hmm. Um, and when so, you saw Blue Velvet the first time, or when? No, when oh. I was when I was sort of like during my second go around, oh, getting okay. really really into Lynch, and yeah. that was when I watched, you know, literally everything. Like I just I burned through his entire filmography really fast. Um, and then, yeah, and it took a while after that to get into Twin Peaks because mm-hmm. I had watched Firewalk with me first before anything else. And, oh, wow. um, <laughs> and that had kind of, uh, I don't know, it, it kind of tempered my 
desire to go back and watch the show because hmm. um you know i already knew who killed laura palmer and uh i didn't really love firewalk with me the first time i watched it so i just thought oh maybe hmm. maybe twin peaks just wasn't for me but um you know maybe three or four years later i finally uh hunkered down and watched the show and uh immediately felt like a big dummy because <laughs> of course the show is amazing so right. uh yeah so it's pretty much just been a an ongoing obsession since then right very on. cool very very cool so you were into lynch before twin peaks that's interesting most of most of the oh, guests yeah. we've had on were were uh lynch converts from twin peaks so yeah this is a well and twin peaks seems like it's a nice um easy uh palatable entry into into uh the world of david lynch but um it's interesting sure. to to find people who watched firewalk with me first yeah and then came to twin peaks and uh um yeah so thanks for giving that that kind of insight into what it's like because yeah we've had a couple a couple other people who have watched it first and and it certainly would change your perspective on things knowing everything that happened um i don't blame you for not wanting to jump into the show right away let's be real (laughs) uh dylan yeah i mean it's just it's not that the movie is bad it's just like um when you don't have context for a lot of the characters and iconography of the show it just it can't be as powerful to you like if you don't know anything about like Donna or Bobby or like, or Leland or Sarah, if you don't have these uh, alternate depictions of them to contrast it with, it's Mm -hmm. not, it it just doesn't mean as much. Mm. You know what I mean? So yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Sorry, Dylan, how about you? How did you get into Lynch first or were you more of a traditional Twin Peaks convert? I got into Lynch first, um, though not super heavily. Basically, I was, I think it was around 2011 or 12, I was hanging out at a friend's house and someone just blurted out, hey, we should watch Eraserhead. (laughs) Um, And I was like, I knew what it was. I knew it was like a midnight movie. Mm -hmm. I knew who David Lynch was. I hadn't really seen anything by him besides maybe the odd uh, PlayStation commercial here or there. Mm -hmm. But um, we watched, I think, the first 30 minutes of it and... Everyone else in the room kind of hated it except me. I was yeah. kind of glued to the screen. I was like really struck by the the tone of it. And I, after thinking on it for a little while, I realized it reminded me a lot of dreams that I would have when I was mm-hmm. younger, like little kind of like weird fever dreams and stuff that I would have. Mm-hmm. Not like the specifics of it, but more of that. Um, like the the at the very beginning, there's the dude pulling the levers who may or may not be God or something, and mm-hmm. then there's all of that. For some reason, that and then the lady in the radiator just reminded me of um, just like this feeling that I that I felt like I was familiar with, mm-hmm. uh, and it was really it was really interesting. And I've never um, like that movie in particular. I've always sort of had a fondness for, even though it's ridiculous and dark. I've always seen a little bit of humor or or uh, uh just something other than pure horror in it (laughs) so i we shut the movie off like a half hour in and then i went home and then watched the whole thing from the beginning and i loved it and i thought it was it was great it was unlike any other uh film i'd ever seen because prior to this i was not really i'm not i'm am not really a like a film uh like aficionado or anything i I, I like a lot of the things that I've seen, but there's a whole world of things that I haven't. So mm-hmm. I'd never seen anything like that. So I told my uh, my friend, who's now my roommate, that I saw Eraserhead. 
and he uh, he was like, oh, dude, you have to watch Twin Peaks. Like, if you're getting into <laughs> David Lynch. And he showed me his fire walk with me tattoo. And he was like, you got to watch Twin Peaks. So he was like, but first, you have to watch Blue Velvet. So he came over, and he had the DVD, and we watched Blue Velvet. And it was obviously nothing like a razor head, but uh, I, I I just really, I really enjoyed how it uh, kind of how subversive it was because at this point in my movie watching life it was you know I liked Pulp Fiction and The Shining and that kind of stuff but more more or less I was watching pretty straightforward films that didn't challenge me all that much and the ending of Blue Velvet made me really you know wonder about Jeffrey and wonder about like what what, what did I actually just watch and what mm-hmm. was the uh, what was that character's like self-discovery actually about and then I, I think I, I believe I launched right into Twin Peaks after that and, and ended up watching the whole, uh, the whole series. And I watched Mulholland Drive and that's when I sort of decided, okay, I'm, I'm on board with this David Lynch character. I, I really, I'm really having in with, the, or I'm really liking all the stuff that he's, that he's been, that I've seen from him. So, um, I, ended up watching inland empire for the first time because there are still some lynch films that i haven't seen like i haven't seen lost at heart Uh, i'm sorry um lost highway or wild at heart um so or like uh dune or the elephant man or anything oh wow or or straight story um so uh i watched inland empire for the first time last summer okay uh, or maybe summer 20 yeah summer 2017 i think and it's sort of like I think it was, it helped me being primed by wa- watching. Um, actually, you know what? It was after the return ended that I watched it because I, I remember right. saying like, "Wow, I'm glad I watched this now that I understand <laughs> the full uh, uh, the full insanity of this of this guy." And it, although it didn't make a ton of sense to me at first, I couldn't help but shake that. Um, that mood that it put me in for a couple mm-hmm. days. And it was actually one of, I've always found not even inspiration, but I've always just loved David Lynch's ability to create incredible, intense mystery out of what seems like randomness, mm-hmm. like just random lines, like the man in the green coat or, um, or even as something as simple as like, we're not going to talk about Judy. Like that one line, the first time I saw fire walk with me, I was like, who's judy like what now and then all of a sudden yeah 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 no we definitely have to talk about judy um but like just these little mundane sort of uh everyday things get get extrapolated upon and turned into these weird funhouse mirror kind of mysteries that Mm -hmm. you can't really uh it's like i can't tell where the normalcy ends and the insanity begins and Mm -hmm. uh for for some reason that's comforting to me in a film um, that sort of like hypnosis of you, you know, you're been you, cause at least in Inland Empire for about an hour or so, you're kind of mm-hmm. watching a linear plot. Right. Um, it's front loaded with, of course, a lot of, um, nonlinear, uh, out of time, out, things that defy explanation. But for a while, yeah, you're watching Nikki Grace and she's acting in this film. Yeah. Um, but the, the, the way that it starts to slip away from underneath you really, is is um is some of the the stuff that I, I love about Lynch in general, and that's sort of why I keep finding myself um going back to a lot of these films, like Inland Empire or Mulholland Drive or even mm-hmm. Eraserhead, just to mm-hmm. try and um 
get that experience again rather than try to solve the mystery if that makes if that makes sense yeah no totally i yeah i think that's i mean yeah lynch films are uh remarkable for that for being their own unique experience and feeling similar yet different because Mulholland Drive feels a lot like Inland Empire at points for me yeah. um, but then at other points mm-hmm. it really doesn't at all so um, it's amazing but it all feels like Lynch and that's, well, and, that's an incredible and it's feat. great to to link it back to that feeling of dream logic I guess is is how I've heard it described and we've described it on our show as dream logic where it's something that is kind of um, intrinsic to the human experience we all kind of have this dream uh logic that we all sink into if we remember our dreams it watching a lynch film kind of pulls you back to that so um there there's that familiarity maybe that makes it comforting i i totally i totally see that and i definitely feel that with eraser head i know aiden hates eraser head just the baby just the baby the but, fine. <laughs> but i i definitely have that um have that feeling of of comfort which is odd considering i don't like inland empire at all but don't. but this is a great segue because let's talk no, about no inland no no, empire no, no, no. I wanted, well yeah no i wanted to get back to nick and because dylan I, that was my next yes, no no, okay, no no no, no. Okay. that was my next question was yeah. uh how did you first watch inland empire and what was your kind of initial thoughts so dylan you've already yeah. kind of given yours uh what about you nick mm-hmm. yeah so um my recollection is that um i actually it's it's a really hard movie to find and so i believe i got it for the first time through netflix uh sure we all remember uh there was there was a time where people actually received dvds through the mail via netflix (laughs) yeah um and i had a friend who was sort of going through the same type of discovery as i was with regards to film and lynch in general and uh, we had just been sort of moving chronologically, and this is a film that I think had maybe just been released um, like a year or two before that. Uh, and so we watched it, and <laughs> not really knowing what it was going to be like. And um, boy, it was it was quite an experience, let me tell you. I mean, I um, I had sort of an addictive relationship with this film. I. Uh, the day after I watched it, I watched it again. And then the day after that, I watched it again. And wow. um, that's sort of the way that it's been throughout the years. Like, I'll, I'll go long periods without watching it, really. Like, before I watched it uh, to talk about this, I hadn't watched it in probably a good, like, three or four years. But I watched it again well, like four nights ago or so. And then I watched it again last mm-hmm. night just because I, I just really wanted to be back, uh, just be back in that world. And I just, I find it, it's honestly, first of all, I just want, like, I love the hell out of this movie. <laughs> I, I think it is so, just such a, just such a nightmarish, like utterly consuming uh, piece of work. I, it's, it's, it's honestly one of my favorite lynch films for sure um and uh yeah i just this movie is like it's funny because it definitely deals with a lot of the same themes and concepts that his other films do i i I think particularly lost highway that's probably Mm -hmm. the one that i think of the most when i watch this movie but um this movie is just like (laughs) it's just like it's the unchained version of those movies where (laughs) it's like 
the surface level niceties are stripped away and this movie is just like the snarling rabbit dog that just mauls you for three hours yes. you know it's like <laughs> yeah. um it it is just like the totally it is just like the id run amok for david lynch mm-hmm. and um you know i i honestly it's a long movie and in some ways a punishing movie but i find it um I find it totally absorbing and it really doesn't drag for me, which I know sounds crazy. Uh, and Lindsay, you're, you're probably going to think like, how is that possible? <laughs> um, but I really do like there, there's a point about halfway through this movie where I just become so attuned to its rhythms that I, it could mm-hmm. honestly go for like five hours and I wouldn't care. Like, yeah. I think especially the last, the last like 45 minutes or so um, are just like some of the most, like horrifying and amazing stuff that that lynch has ever done i I think it's incredible yeah i agree (laughs) um yeah i mean personally i think we've we've watched it together only um and i when was the first time we watched it was it right before it maybe a year before the return the return 18 months or so before the return and uh, yeah, we. I remember we watched it. I don't think you even finished watching it, Lindsay. I think you either just went onto your phone and just you were probably like looking up what does Inland Empire mean about halfway through because yeah. you uh, you don't <laughs> particularly enjoy the ambiguity uh, at times. And uh, but yeah, we we watched it then, and I was just I was enthralled but annoyed uh, because it does have all those really great Lynch uh, tropes, and it does a great job of capturing that feel. Um, but it is so mired in uh, ambiguity and, uh, you know, post-structural kind of uh, structure. <laughs> you know, there's everything's out of order. Nothing makes a lot of sense. Uh, you, you have to do a lot of heavy lifting to, to make it uh, into a story that you can actually uh, interpret and start working with. Um, but it's visually just so arresting. There's so many cool things. It's really dark. I, I kind of hate now because I'm so used to like, you know, 4K red camera quality stuff and The Return did that in droves. But like uh, in 2006, he was working, I don't remember, I think he filmed it with like a DV camera yeah, or something. Yeah, handheld yeah. camera. Yeah, like it was super low quality and it, it doesn't it doesn't age well now. Like even when you watch it on Blu-ray or a high definition upscale thing, it's... It, it's still kind of grainy and uh, all the close-ups that with like a fish yeah. eye lens and stuff like there's so much there that's just kind of like unique to this film it's a unique visual language for yeah this. for this film yeah it, it's it calls on all the yeah, other lynch definitely. pieces but it's it has its own uh, its own feel and its own structure so mm-hmm. uh, yeah i remember thinking like well this is so this is yeah this is the full heroin lynch like this is what again uh what i was worried they were talking about uh when they announced the return because uh the producer executive producer whoever it was uh at showtime said uh we're getting the full heroin lynch i'm like oh no it's 18 hours yeah. of, of inland empire and that's uh that's kind of scary but um i was very but it, i mean I, in some ways we kind of did get elements of that but it was within a twin peaks vibe whereas inland empire is its own unique thing so yeah i remember loving it uh when we watched it but being frustrated enough that i wanted to learn more and watch it again um but i think this uh, like we just finished watching it about 20 minutes ago uh and it was about i think this is only the third time we've watched it 
uh, and I don't even think I don't remember if you watched it the second time, Lindsay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This, I, so I've, I've seen it three times. Yeah. Um, and it's really interesting. Okay, I should preface this by saying I, I, I appreciate the film and I appreciate what is happening in the film and the story that I think is being told. It's just the aesthetic experience of watching the film is not something that I enjoy. And that's that's when I say I hate this film or I dislike this film intensely. It's that that experience of it that I just maybe it's the frustration, maybe it's the the nightmarish quality. It just um it almost reminds me like synesthetically watching this film is like laying on a bed of nails where every you know 10 nails is just a little higher than the rest so it's like really uncomfortable to lay on and you just feel like you're just not like i i don't know it's It's not painful enough to to like pierce the skin but just enough to make you feel not happy so (laughs) Mm -hmm. but but what i love about the film is what we're doing right now is like debriefing after it and and so I watched a bit of it with Aiden I didn't watch the whole thing this time um I did watch the last half an hour or so which I love the the ending of the film I do um and when you get to the end like Aiden and I before we we uh set this up with with you two um we were standing in our kitchen just being like, so what do you think? Like, what does this mean? And, oh, yeah, okay, I really get that. And that's what I love about this film is that it, it inspires or elicits that kind of, um, that need in me to talk to other really smart people, smarter than me, to figure out what it means. And and that, I think there's incredible value in that. So I do appreciate that part of Inland Empire. So I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Yeah, we're glad you guys out. are here because the really smart people are not us. So we really need some help oh, figuring that, this thing out. That is, yeah, you got any trouble then. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that'll be a good segue into our really only question I think for this episode. We'll see where it goes from here. But um, what do you guys okay. think it's about? <laughs> um, and if there's any volunteers for their, uh, you know, grand theory about Inland Empire. Like, I mean, is there even a, a, a coherent, you, you, we, I don't even think you could do a plot synopsis. Like it, no, it yeah, just, we, it, no, it no, couldn't no. work. No. I think, I think generally we, we can accept that there is a film being made and that there is, there are characters who are acting in this film and that's about it, right? <laughs> like, there's really not mm-hmm. much else to talk about. So I guess yeah. it, it it devolves pretty quickly from any kind of standard plot synopsis um, and really enters this realm of, of personal interpretation. So, yeah, I guess we'll throw it to you guys and see what, what do you think the film is is saying or what is it about? Let's, let's, right, go, to, let's go to you first, Dylan, because, you know, right. you gave Nick, Nick up for the first one, so it's on yeah. you now. <laughs> All right, so I, no, hmm, what is Inland Empire about? <laughs> well, let me tell you. Yeah. No, um, all right, I think on the face, probably the most definitive thing I can say that I believe is that Nikki Grace and Devin are not real people. Sue Blue and Billy Side are real people. Ah. So from from what I've gathered. Uh, and and I've 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 consumed a decent amount of analysis about this and sort of some of it some of it I really like some of it I think is a bit superfluous but based on a lot of the stuff I've read and thought about myself um, I'll try my best at what I what I think is going on here so 
well, we start off with the lost girl, right? And she is sort of watching everything that we see through a TV. Um, mm-hmm. And she's so I believe that she's in some type of purgatory mm-hmm. or limbo state or whatever, where she is um, uh, for some reason or another. Um, I, there's so many. Oh, man, there's so many rabbit holes. All right. So, you know how um, you know how Grace Zabrinsky's character, the visitor, mentions that there is a debt that must be paid. Yeah. Um, I think that this debt is referring to the lost girl. And mm. um, if we can speculate on like Lynch's whole, um, I guess, mindset, at least in, as far as his films go for the last like 15, 20 years, there's so, so much. It's hard to divorce that from his own personal mm. um, like statements uh, about, you know, positivity and negativity and meditation and enlightenment and all that. So there's different phases of characters like um uh so we have sue who is married to smithy or piatrek or whatever he's called Mm -hmm. um and she is uh having an affair with billy Mm -hmm. so it's insinuated to us that smithy knows about this so smithy has billy killed so sue kills her husband smithy and then billy's wife kills sue um that's like that last thing that we see when she gets stabbed with a screwdriver yeah billy's wife is doris so that right there is like negative we'll say we'll Mm -hmm. just call it what it is it's negative there's a there's jealousy there's bitterness there is murder um and it's why um i doubt the reality of the uh of of the nikki grace character because that's sort of what grace abrinsky's or the visitor number one is saying to her is that um you're not remembering this correctly she's sort of trying to penetrate that facade which i think is symbolized in a lot of the um like the silk burning and looking through the hole uh scenes there's a whole lot of that symbolism of like you know you're you're destroy something pristine and then stare through that and see what happens Mm -hmm. um so then there's an, a shadow story happening as well in old Poland, right? Yeah. So this is where we have all the lookalike characters. Um, and so Lost Girl is a uh, is in a relationship, it seems, with um, with another like Smithy character. This time yeah. he has a mustache. And it's insinuated that um, in their conversation, I forget exactly who murders who, but they both <laughs> murdered uh i think like you know there is a similar affair and the whole thing is happening in polish so it's not like i can tell what they're saying (laughs) um and i don't remember if there are subtitles but um i don't think there are i don't don't know if there were originally but the version i we watched had them oh somebody added them yeah yeah. okay yeah i'm sure there is dialogue yeah mine did too okay so um and i yeah because I, I think i've read snippets of what they're saying but if, if you just look at the language of it um you see a dead body uh yeah. of the woman who looks very similar to doris but it is uh, who is billy's wife and you also um anyway there's this whole uh other old poland story and mm-hmm. th- w- that's what I think the significance of like the half born statement is. And that's why at the end of the whole film, uh, Sue and the lost girl embrace one another. And 
it's almost like the debt has been paid um, and that the whole I think the whole almost most of the movie you're seeing is Sue in this sort of purgatory state sort of trying like and she's being guided by the prostitutes and guided by the visitor um, to sort of get at this realization this actualization of what actually happened and then the climax of it all when she encounters the the phantom um, who is that who also shows up in old Poland mm-hmm. um, but she encounters this phantom character who reflects her own face at her when she right. tries to shoot him mm-hmm. so and it's a distorted face um, and it says in the very beginning in that poem um, when the boy walked out into the world he uh, there was a reflection evil so there's this whole Lynchian con- concept that he always um, seems to be going for nowadays with this uh, shadow self thing yeah. where there's there's your inner your your inner negativity is the uh, the true enemy and he has even said as far because there's a lot of clown iconography as well yeah um, he has even referred to uh, in uh, in talking about meditation uh, that everyone has what he calls like a clown suit of negativity and that once you dispense with your your clown self that uh, all of that depression and anxiety dissolves and you're finally free. <laughs> and so I think that there is some sort of, I mean, uh, we could, you could probably spin yourself in, in circles a million times trying to get exactly at what each individual scene means. There's also, I mean, a lot of things are significant. Like there's the red lamp yeah. uh, that shows up all the time and the phantom has the red bulb in his mouth. Um, sort of almost depicting like this he's not necessarily an evil character he's almost like a force of nature that is unpleasant that Mm -hmm. you have to confront in order to whatever shed that clown suit but i think in terms of like um you know this was made without a screenplay so it's sort of like a stream of consciousness and i I, and he is lynch has said many times that he just came up with ideas and then he came up with another idea and another one and another one and then eventually after doing that for a long time, something emerged to him. So that, um, like how they were all connected. And I think that includes the rabbits and includes the old Poland stuff. Cause he said he, I think he was in the middle of filming and then went to Poland and fell yeah. in love with it and then added that into this whole mix. So there's some sort of, um, and the other, I think the whole thing or a lot of it can be, you can use the poem. Um, and there are certain lines in it that you can go through and point to or, or certain things that uh, visitor number one says, like if if today were tomorrow or if it were 945, I suppose you think it were after midnight. And in old Poland, the characters, I think, twice referred to the time being 945. And then <laughs> in Inland Empire or in the um, the, the Sue Blue slash Nikki Grace storyline, there's a few references to it being after midnight. So there's this sort of. Um, uh, you could you could look at it like a, a like a similar Lynchian thing to trauma and trauma being uh, sort of even generational and and having nothing to do with whether you speak English or Polish or whether you're born in in uh, you know the t- early 20th century or in mm-hmm. the 21st century. Uh, but overall i don't i i'd really hesitate to say i know what it's about but i think that there is enough evidence to start trying to piece together um the archetypes 
like there is mm-hmm. in, in both stories there is an abused wife who is unfaithful uh, mm-hmm. one of, like one of them who is murdered one of them who uh, does murder and then there is an abusive spouse um, in both sides then there's a cheated spouse on both sides but the specifics of it switch around and he uses the same actors in different roles almost to I think um, like intentionally obfuscate the the meaning of it and then maybe even then there's like a, a sunset boulevard aspect of it where uh the like the the sort of how hollywood treats its stars and yeah um you know there's that whole william h macy thing where he says uh hollywood where uh where stars make dreams and dreams make stars mm-hmm. um and that that was a big tipping point for me to say like oh dreams make stars like this nikki grace character is sort of a fantasy that Sue is having to uh, maybe cope with the fact that she's been murdered, she's dead, and that her life was exceptionally tragic. And this whole thing of a film that was started uh, the on, on High and Blue Tomorrows but never finished, like, like it's happened before, is her own... It's like that's the, um, the information trying to be penetrated to her that she's sort of trying to quote unquote pay this debt um, and that she has this connection to the lost girl who is watching her every move uh, empathetically crying um, yeah. mm-hmm. so that's my word soup for <laughs> now at least that is perfect that is that is the most you can ask for I think for a, <laughs> an analysis of Inland Empire so uh, yeah I love it that's that's really great yeah Liz, yeah, I you think had a thought. I can no, see you I, thinking while you were. <laughs> I I was doing a lot of thinking. Um, I I really like that, and I've I've struggled to figure out how to mesh Lynch's philosophy with his film, and struggling against it too, to an extent, just because of the whole postmodern poststructuralist ideas that um, I think Lynch maybe wants us to embrace his films with, but. Uh, like the whole death of the author thing like is is but whatever <laughs> I, I I really I always have wanted to mesh that and and I've read some Martha no Chimson or Nochimson I'm not sure how to pronounce her last name but um uh some of her stuff uh, along the similar line Dylan to to your analysis kind of taking you know the eastern transcendental meditation stuff and pushing it into Inland Empire in a really interesting way and I really like that interpretation um it feels very holistic and kind of um yeah whole yeah in a in a nice way yeah yeah as whole as it can be Mm, as whole as it can be yes exactly yeah oh yes Nick what's what's your thought on on uh, what what's it all about oh boy well uh (laughs) Uh, what Dylan just said was about a thousand percent more thought than I've ever given to the narrative <laughs> of this film. Uh, so I'm going to say that right off the bat. Here, here's, the, here's the thing about, about Inland Empire. Um, what we're looking at is, uh, like you mentioned, it is an improvised film. It is a, it's an experimental film in the truest sense of the word. It was, mm-hmm. by David Lynch's own description, an experiment. And not only does it not follow a um, a traditional narrative structure that we recognize, uh, but it's also being told out of any sort of chronology that we recognize. Mm-hmm. So 
and it's that way by design and um <clears throat> if you can't sort of let go of the need to to place it within within the, those frameworks uh you're you're probably going to have a bad time watching this film mm-hmm. um because it very very strongly uh strongly resists them and i i personally i much prefer to think about this film in terms of um uh in terms of like the scene to scene filmmaking of it and the kind of uh emotional response that it's trying to convey um and on that note what i would say is that much more so than any uh like strong narrative through line through this film although i think there is a semblance of one uh, as you mentioned you know we know vaguely that there is an actress who's starring in this new film that is a remake of a Polish film that was never finished, uh, etc. She goes and she begins to rehearse, at which point um, that's where the reality of the film begins to break down, right? Because there is a figure that appears in the shadows, which we later find out is some other iteration of herself. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a similar thing... Uh, it's a similar thing to what happens in Mulholland Drive, right? Where there's that audition scene uh, that Naomi Watts does. And that's really the point at which the film's reality starts to break down, mm-hmm. um, which is just like one of many commonalities with, uh, with other Lynch works. But to me, the, the real through line of this film uh, and the reason ultimately that it works really, really well for me is Laura Dern. Um, and her performance because um, <clears throat> what I find really interesting about this film is that um, over the course of it what we see is sort of a gradual decay of her character and it's written on her face you know it's it's we start out and she's very um, she's very optimistic she's very happy about this new role that she's taken and by the end, she is, you know, completely freaked out and broken down. And not only that, but it's like she's she's physically worn out, too. You know, over the course of the film, she gradually becomes more and more, uh, she, you know, she's dirty, she's bruised, she's sweaty. Um, and that's what, I've, that's what I really find interesting about this film is that um, it's sort of like using Laura Dern's performance and her face really as a as a guide through the story Mm. rather than emphasizing any sort of like narrative progression do you know what i'm saying Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah yeah Yeah. and it's it's like and that and that's and that's um that's one reason why i find the um the visual approach to this film really effective also is that you know he uses this grainy handheld style which um i agree doesn't look great all the time hasn't really aged well uh doesn't really benefit from like a a blu-ray transfer or anything like that but what it allowed lynch to do was to sort of get right up in people's faces Mm -hmm. in a way that he hasn't really done before and it lends a feeling of really intense confrontation that we haven't really experienced and the other thing it does is it really um, it really 
gets into like the nitty gritty of these people's faces like you see just like the dirt and the sweat and the pores in a way that you haven't really seen before you know what i mean it's like um it's a really unique thing for lynch because his other films even at their most nightmarish like mulholland driver lost highway they're very they're still relatively gauzy and this is just like um and this this really does feel a little bit more real in a way because laura dern is very like she feels much more exposed than any actor has in lynch films past mm-hmm. um and it's really um i don't know i i i sort of broadly read into this um this conceit of the film being made this on high and blue tomorrows as being sort of a uh, a uh, a funhouse mirror reflection of a lot of the things that are going on with Nikki psychologically having mm-hmm. to do with um like infidelity and mistrust and self-harm um which are things that have appeared you know very prominently in in other you know lynch stuff but um, mm-hmm. I guess I guess what I'm what I'm trying to go I guess th- what I'm trying to say in a r- very roundabout way is like I I don't really experience this film in terms of like uh, like oh the red lamp is a, is a symbol for X and X trauma or like um, you know the the lost girl is really this person or uh, you know I don't really think about it in those terms I think about it uh, in much more emotional terms. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why I'm able to uh, enjoy it the way I do because it really is just like a really um, a really direct emotional attack, I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't it's it's just like like I was saying before, it's really just Lynch um, unchaining himself from, these notions of narrative to give you a really, really visceral experience. And, um, and I guess if you wanted to present a criticism of this film, it would be that a lot of the things that he's exploring, a lot of these notions of, um, like filmmaking and trauma and, uh, as Dylan put it, the shadow self and infidelity, they've all been explored pretty thoroughly, uh, in Lynchworks past. But I just think that here, they're explored in a much more um a much more visceral and horrifying way and i just i feel those things deeper in this film than i do in other films perhaps because of just the really the direct visceral approach that he has to the filmmaking does any of that make sense yeah absolutely yeah Yeah, totally yeah i I agree i think it's it's a It's interesting because it is. It's almost like an abstract painting as opposed to. I was to just gonna say gonna the go to same the, thing. <laughs> like it's it's almost like you you've got like blue velvet is a Monet, and this is a Kandinsky, yeah. you know. And it just it's totally divorced from from representational art. Mm-hmm. So you have to feel it in. You have to feel it. You can't explain it in words. It's like, it's a totally different thing yeah. yeah and i yeah and that's why it's so difficult to talk about like i was so interested to yeah. see how this conversation was going to go when we go into it because yeah. it is definitely lynch's most challenging film i think and mm-hmm. it's uh by extension his most difficult film to talk about because even though 
like I feel so much when I'm watching this film. It's really, mm-hmm. really difficult to articulate it because yeah. so much of it, um, so much of it is just an expression of like pure filmmaking. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like yeah. it's it's the um, it's like the scene to scene transitions. It's the music. It's the it's the the facial expressions. It's just like uh, all of these really like impressionistic snapshots that mm-hmm. over the course of three hours add up to something I find really, really compelling as opposed to like, um, you know, a nice, uh, you know, a story with little, yeah. yeah, Like I can't, I can't just like give you like a a bite-sized take on why, Mm -hmm. why I think this film is really interesting. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? Well, we appreciate the thought, the effort anyways, because yeah, (laughs) it's, it's an impossible task, but, uh, yeah, it's, I agree. I think it's, um, I think the fact that, like you both pointed out, that there was no script, there was no um, planning. <laughs> you know, the the Polish stuff was just kind of dropped in um, as required. Like it, it's it is very much. It's almost like you're watching Kandinsky being created as, at, like fi- <laughs> you're seeing the final product also as it's being created. Kind of right, thing. right, right. Like it's just it's so uh, loose and like like you were just saying, Nick. It's very pure. Impressionistic. Yeah. yeah, it's just it's like it's really boiled down to the individuals of audio and visual, and all the things that we do as the audience. And this is where I'll get to my point: uh, is is like we usually do those connecting, right? Like we we can watch it and we can connect the dots to say, I understand this story is going from here to here to here, um, and he's taking that away from us in a, in a respect. He's saying, no, no, you're not going to be able to. To do that because that's not what this movie is really about it's not like yes there there are hints of things and we start off going down a linear plot path um but i'm gonna take you on this wild journey in the middle um and i think that's kind of like the whole point like i i i don't know if there is a um like we can we can talk about this a bit more but you know i don't know if there's the plot necessarily is even a thing um i feel like I'm kind of in between your two points of view where um, like you could find the plots and you could try and decipher uh, individual symbols and how they tie into other things. But I think it's, it's almost more of a, uh, it's more of a, uh, a feeling it's, it's doing that on a gut level as opposed to a rational level. Um, And I think that's, that's interesting and different for even Lynch. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that the only reason it works is because, Lynch is just so incredibly talented. I mean, could you imagine what a disaster this movie would be if, like, anybody with even, like, 10% less strength of vision had attempted yeah. something like this? Yeah. Um, like, it would be a debacle for the yeah. ages, you know? Yeah. To me, like, this movie... This movie, oddly enough, even though I don't think it's his best movie, I think it might stand as maybe the strongest testament to just his pure filmmaking chops you know the fact that he was Mm -hmm. able to cut this together into something that i think really has a um really has a a distinct flow to it like i'm always really impressed when i watch it that it just feels like there's a certain logic to the way scenes flow in and out of each other Mm -hmm. um that i find really impressive so i think that's a good opportunity for me to jump in and and say my bit about what i think it all means uh (laughs) because i i definitely have some ideas after 
because um, I'll admit the first time I watched it, no idea. I was just like, that is that is just craziness. I don't even know. I just walked away and I threw my hands up and then uh, I started reading and looked online and watched some videos, watched some other people's opinions, and that helped form my own. Um, and I think mine's, like I mentioned, a little bit between your, your two, Dylan and Nick. I think it's, uh, I, I think there is a definite storyline here. Um, and I think it's actually... It's less about the storyline, though. It's more about, um, well, I think I think basically to sum it all up, I think Inland Empire's uh, meditation on storytelling and filmmaking, um, which is probably a little obvious, and it doesn't encapsulate everything that goes on in the movie. So I don't think it's it's a perfect uh, summation of, in any sense. But um, I think basically what what happens in the movie is there is a movie on High and Blue tomorrow um, being filmed. Uh, I think Nikki's. Uh, in there she's filming it and I think um, the key uh, scene is well there's a couple key scenes but the one of the key scenes at the start of it is when uh, she appears on set as the mysterious figure who um, what's his name that guy Devin yep. Devin. Devin chases down um, and she hides from him uh, and from potentially what he represents in some way. Uh, but she winds up getting trapped inside the set. And she and I think that's basically a, a, a metaphor for Nikki being trapped inside the character of Sue. And then everything we see from that point on, right up until uh, Jeremy Irons returns and says cut, uh, and we see the camera pull back and reveal another camera uh, on the street, I think that's all on High and Blue tomorrow. Um, but it's 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 done in a rabbits kind of way, and I think the whole rabbit section is kind of just a, a clue as to how you're supposed to um, prepare for the on high and blue tomorrow section, because um, rabbits is really interesting. I I don't know I don't really understand it really, but I do know that it's basically one story that everything's being told out of sequence, um, and so I think if you just kind of take yeah. that as like. Oh, it's a rabbit's yeah. thing. Okay, well, everything from here on out is going to be out of order. Um, and so basically the middle three quarters or two thirds, however long it is, um, is really just on high and blue tomorrow, but everything's out of order. Nothing makes sense. It's it's potentially dream sequences. It also um, potentially guy drives into the 4-7 movie. Um, I think that's what the old Polish scenes are. It's actually uh, on high and blue tomorrow, the original. Pre- the Polish version, the Polish version um, yeah. Is, yeah, I agree. Is kind of in that section. So, um, so yeah, the, the the middle parts that, and then I think the the really key scene is at the end. Um, and I, and you already touched on it, Dylan. Um, but it's the whole meeting between Nikki slash Sue and uh, the Lost Girl. And I think the Lost Girl's supposed to be obviously because she's literally watching what we're watching. She's a stand-in for the audience. Um, but I think what's important is not that uh, she's just watching, it's that she's actually an active participant in creating the movie that we've watched. And I think that's kind of the whole point of the movie is that um, there's no barriers between the actress and her character. There's also no barriers between um, the viewer and the movie itself. Everything kind of merges together because I think at the end when you see... um, the lost girl she has that emotional connection with sue or nikki or whoever um she she gets something from the movie she she finds meaning and she finds joy and and a catharsis a release from the movie 
and then she follows Nikki. She goes through this kind of liminal space of the hallway and the, the thing, and she winds up back at her home. And you realize that her home is also the home of uh, Sue and her husband. And her husband is actually the husband of the thing. I think that I think that choice to use uh, the husband character everywhere is actually an indication of the lost girl imposing, seeing her husband in all husbands. And so she was probably herself unfaithful. I mean, perhaps she is prostituting on the side or something like that. It's really not clear. But I think I think that's uh, I think that's kind of the the ethos of the thing is it's it's saying that there's no. Uh, firm uh, boundaries between those different actors in in a movie, in a story, in whatever way it is. Uh, it, you know, she is literally part of the creative process herself, just by being a member of the audience. It's a very kind of traditional, postmodern way of looking at it. Um, and then all those other elements that you guys have already touched on, like the visuals and um, the sound and uh, the recurring themes and, and everything, it's really just pulling all those threads uh, together. Um, like It's almost like those threads are the real things, and then the characters, uh, Sue, uh, Nikki, and the Lost Girl are all just tapping into those, those undercurrents independently, and they all pull what they, what they need and what they view in the world out of that, from like this undercurrent and I'm doing a terrible job explaining this. Lindsay's giving me a very no, blank no, no. look. Um, but it, yeah, I kind of feel like the, the whole movie is really just an exploration of, of what it happens when we watch movies essentially and how there's different roles and different parts people play. Um, but they, the full experience is not something that exists independently of the movie itself. Like you can't just watch the movie and have it be the end it's 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 the actresses who bring something into the play or into the movie with their own experiences. It's the audience who brings something in and watches on High and Blue tomorrow and uh, creates something out of it. So that's that's kind of my simplistic overview. <laughs> it's a little uh, a little more rambly than I expected, but uh, yeah, that's that's always how I've kind of viewed it after multiple watchings, just because. Um, I like I'm kind of with you Nick I can't really start trying to like analyze an individual image or piece of information or anything but on the whole I feel like everything is so tightly interconnected visually and thematically and the whole process of watching is just so important in the in the the movie and it's not present really in any of Lynch's other ones I think that's kind of a an important giveaway that this is this might be um, a key element to under- deciphering and understanding what the film's about. But that's just me. <laughs> that was my rambling explanation. Uh, but yeah, I, any any thoughts? Any come back, Lindsay? You've heard. I mean, me I, I like what, I, I like what. Yeah, I was going to say like I like what you said about um, how basically the movie is kind of like um, in some ways a comment on the act of watching a movie. And what it means to watch that movie, I, I do agree with the, uh, um, the idea that this framing device that we see with uh, the crying girl, who I believe you guys refer to as the lost girl, um, she is watching literally the movie that we're seeing on screen, mm-hmm. and <clears throat> I think that 
it's sort of a, a motif that appears again and again where characters are um, peering outward or peering into something as a means of being transported to another world or uh, as a means of seeing into themselves. You know, that's what I think that this whole this whole thing with um, the hole in the silk is. It's like this mm-hmm. idea that um, um, like looking through a hole or at a TV screen or out a window is sort of um, re- representing this fear that if you peer beyond the surface, it'll lead to uh, like temptation and horror and uh, self-realization and potentially self-destruction. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like every door leads to um, like some other terrifying new unknowable corridor that's filled with even more doors and it just creates like this huge labyrinth of the psyche you know what I mean it's like we're just constantly um, like it's like the deeper we it's like the deeper we go the more the film expands (laughs) you know what I'm saying it's like Mm -hmm. um, like this idea of observing and watching as a way of um like sort of disappearing into yourself is the way that i read a lot Mm -hmm. of what happens here Mm -hmm. yeah i i definitely i mean i love all interpret pretty much all interpretations i hear of this of this film just because they're always so different and there's so many moving parts that like everybody seems to purpose them in a different way Mm -hmm. but i would i i definitely agree on the um, with the idea that uh, this lost girl is is in a she she's affecting the story simply by watching it and is therefore participating in yeah. it, and you could even maybe take that a step further and see, so the first line of dialogue we hear is um, Axon and the longest running radio right. drama in history, and then every time Sue uh, sees this Axon N in the in the in the movie she's then brought deeper into this mystery the first time she sees the axon end uh sign mm-hmm. she ends up going back to the set of on blue tomorrows mm-hmm. and having that encounter um and that sort that's sort of really where the story folds in on itself mm-hmm. and each time she um each time she sees that sign it 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 does continue to spiral and get even more and more complex and convoluted. Mm-hmm. Um, and perhaps that's just a, um, like, like just a, a statement on putting oneself in that, uh, in that mindset to get lost in a story mm-hmm. in a sense that you, um, you lose, you lose yourself in a, um, maybe a figurative sense, but you actually kind of discover yourself in a literal sense because all of your, um, all of your subconscious things bubble up to the surface once you can draw, uh, get rid of your like surface self, right. if that makes sense. So each time, uh, and, and if we just use this like axon N as a, a symbol for that, each time Sue interacts with it, she um, actually, she seems to get further and further away from the the who she is in terms of how we understand that as a, as a viewer yeah. but in actuality she's actually getting closer to who she may truly be which is by connecting with the lost girl at the end of the mm-hmm. film and sort of uh, uh, 
hinting at, at a semblance of a quote unquote happy ending. Right. Mm-hmm. But there's um, I think that there's a there's so much going on here and there's there's a lot of things that just completely go unresolved like you know the very beginning like the the blurry faced man uh, we don't really know who that is right. i think it's revealed to us that the woman is the lost girl um but there's just so many different corners you can go into and and sort of try to you know either either find plot or find narrative or find commentary or find some sort of like meta commentary Mm -hmm. like i think there's enough there for for so many different readings of it and um i'm just i happen to just enjoy watching it as a puzzle piece yeah uh, Yeah. almost like i'm just gonna try to okay they said 47 there (laughs) and then that door says 47 and what the hell is that supposed to mean um but so i think it might be just as much that as it is all of these other things Mm -hmm. and um i would really imagine that um it, it's probably pretty amazing for for Lynch to to hear some of these things. Or maybe I don't know if he does consume any of right. them or if he's curious, but um, he definitely made something that is enigmatic and that people can sort of attach themselves to and maybe discover something about themselves in trying to uh, piece together this like kind of weird puzzle Mobius strip of a, of a movie. Which is really cool because that that seems to be what he what he aims to do anyway, right? Or at least that's his stated goal yeah. is to kind of, you know, enlighten us all in a sense, yeah. right? So, I mean, this this right. this is his way of doing that. Well, and he famously, you know, refuses to talk about of any of his movies, right? Like he's mm-hmm. he's really, um, and that's, that actually that scene is what made me kind of clue into like this kind of meta structure of it is mm-hmm. because I think for Lynch, like, yeah, the movie isn't, like he, there's no point in him talking about the movie because the movie is there, and then whatever you bring to the movie is valid and part of it, but it's just standalone. Like he, you, him talking about it would just confuse it because he's, you know, he's the director. He's there to set the parts in motion, but then he's wrapped up a product and, you know, handed it off, which is yeah, interesting. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I think I think I think it really I think that that really in the long run. As much as it may frustrate people that Lynch doesn't want to talk about his work, um, I think that people, I think that people think they want answers more than they actually do. Yeah. You know, I think that Lynch, it may be a case of him giving us what we need as opposed to what we want. Because yep. I think that if he were to just come out and say that, oh yeah, X, Y, and Z is X, Y, and Z, then uh, it would close off a lot of the possibility space for people. Yeah. Um, you know, and I think, <laughs> you know, and for evidence of how that can happen, you know, I would point to something like uh, one of the worst press tours I've ever seen, which is Darren Aronofsky's recent one that he did for his film Mother, right. which um, oh, yes. is a film I really like. But I mean, every at every event that he would go to, he would just say like, uh, you know, people would ask him like, oh, you know, is it a, um, you know, is it an allegory for the artist? You know, is it a metaphor for abuse and whatever not? And he would just continually say like, "Oh no, it's um, it's a, it's about um, it's about the environment." And he would just like <laughs> go into really really specific terms about it. Yeah. And people would people would just continually bring all this new baggage to it, and he would just sort of shoot them down and say, "No, nah, it's about this like very specific thing." And as somebody who who watched the film and really got a lot out of it and who liked it, but who didn't particularly see that angle of it, I was like really bummed out the fact that he kept doing that. And yeah. 
it it really like for me because this you know that happened i think um maybe right after the return happened and yeah. i just remember thinking to myself like thank god david lynch isn't out there doing this right now yeah. because like if <laughs> it would just bum me out so much if yeah he was just like shutting down every uh you know every avenue of possibility that i i had dreamed up for myself with this you know yeah yeah, it's a it's a wonderful gift that he that he doesn't do that, and and I think that's going to be the lasting um, legacy, I guess, of uh, whether Lynch makes anything else beyond the return. I think that's the one thing that you know we'll always be able to point to. I mean, and I and I do think that fifty years from now, people will still be talking about his films the way that you know we talk about Hitchcock films and and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So I I yeah. 100% agree. Mm-hmm. I think we've, we've like, that's a brilliant way to uh, sum up kind of where we're at with this film. I don't really have an interpretation, so I'm not going to offer Okay, one. I was going to say. If no, I, I, one, I, I, have, I have nothing to add. I think that the three of you have come up with some, I, maybe, I'll grant you this, I think I'm going to rewatch Inland Empire with a very different, <laughs> Uh, viewpoint set of mindset yeah. let's say that well, I think you have to I think mm-hmm. if you went in there and we, we did we were like oh it's going to be a three hour long movie we didn't know really what it was about or anything though I don't I think we just read the byline a girl in trouble or whatever and yeah. we're like, oh it's going to be another Laura Palmer-esque character perhaps um, and then we jumped in there and we're like okay there's no story there's nothing going on like what, what <laughs> how are we supposed to watch this I think that really can sour your your uh, your viewing of it I think if you go in there with the mind expecting um to not be told what's happening Mm -hmm. uh you'll get a very different and much more positive experience i think so i will be there for you Lindsay. when we watch it again i appreciate that yeah okay good and when you watch eraserhead again i will be there for you when i can't sleep at night because the baby's floating through the hallway into the bedroom yes oh god the baby (laughs) the baby can i just get before we go can i can can we just like um just maybe give a quick shout out to like some of our like the moments from this movie that stand out because there oh, are yes. things I really absolutely. want. Absolutely, yes, we need to mention. do that. And, and we should talk about how this ties back to Twin Peaks a little bit. I think we can come back to the end. But sure. Yes, by yeah. all means, Nick. Sure. Get started. Sure. Yeah. Sorry. So, speaking of Twin Peaks, um, this this scene early on here with Grace Zabriskie is mm. one of my absolute favorite things that Lynch has ever done. Um, Me too. It's it reminds me a little bit of the party scene from Lost Highway. Um yeah. where Robert Blake's character is confronting Bill Pullman's character. Just this idea of like this mysterious stranger with too much knowledge who seems to know way too much about you and um has this vaguely threatening aura without ever threatening you directly. I think it's yeah. really great and I love Grace Zabriskie's readings here the, the yeah. way that she delivers some of these lines including of course a brutal <laughs> fucking murder and all this um i just i love the the just just the the intensity of the camera work here mm-hmm. of um like i mentioned before it's just right up in their face it's just so confrontational and it adds this real tension to the scene um i i absolutely love that uh, i i uh, i would be remiss if i didn't mention that and also oh, there's a shot of um, Piotrick um, mm-hmm. hitting Laura Dern's character 
where it's like the background is very dark and there's a bright light shining on him and it's like a close-up of his face and it's one of the most terrifying shots of any human being i've ever seen in a movie it is like his hair's all disheveled and stuff yeah 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 and he's like sweaty and he's got like these like bright blue eyes and it's like he looks like a demon and it it just it's it's incredible so anyways i just wanted to shout those moments out brilliant yeah what about you dylan What, what are your standout moments um, well, I, I, I love everything with the prostitutes. I think that it's just so, it's so interesting how they sort of like exist as a whole and they, they speak a sentence kind of like a few words at a time each. Um, but more like the locomotion scene, yeah. uh, it, it just like blows me away. The use of music in this film yeah. too is kind of like there's for like how, how stylish Lynch can be um he kind of isn't a lot of the times in this or he is using a much different style than that kind of um i don't know how else to word it besides like cool Mm -hmm. he used he has a kind of like a like these cool moments but like like for example when um when sue ends up on um like on the hollywood walk of fame Mm -hmm. and i forget what she says she's like oh i'm crying like a baby (laughs) and then black tambourine by beck starts (laughs) playing and it's just this like what the fuck is going on right now (laughs) like whenever there's the up the upbeat music it is it like grinds against the mood i'm in because this film puts me in such like a almost dreamy like i don't think i could ever watch this movie in the afternoon like i have to watch it when i'm tired because it's like it it just it lulls me into that state anyway but then when these like very vibrant characters like the prostitutes and then the the um the music kicks in it's just like it it just completely throws me in and puts me in this like i'm like i'm uh like i'm disoriented like i don't know what the hell i'm feeling right now and it's kind of cool but uh i also um i also i mean i just want to double down on grace zabrinsky um and just her the shot of her walking up to the door Mm -hmm. and her mannerisms and the shaky camera and the overexposure and the light it, it it and and I, Nick, you said it earlier. This camera work makes this whole thing seem more real. Like if you ever seen like, um, I don't know. Like if you ever see like the really weird side of YouTube. Like I don't have a specific example, but whenever like someone puts something on YouTube that's just very obscure and weird, <laughs> it's like it's so much more creepy than something you would see and and like a you know filmed on like a i don't know on a set like like that's something that's very clearly a movie but this this sort of like gets at that while still like you still know it's a movie that's an actress you know and recognize but the way it's shot and the way she's acting it's so bizarre Mm -hmm. um and then uh i think the scene that really freaked me out the most believe it or not is when sue goes next door to the crawl house and yeah. then the phantom dude shows up with a light bulb in his yeah. mouth because i had no idea what that yeah. was supposed to be in his mouth and that was one of those moments of utter randomness that i just clung to and i was like what what <laughs> like how because like i don't know i i'm a somewhat of a creative person i don't really write much anymore but i used to and i used to always like get lost in like oh no this isn't interest isn't an interesting enough idea and this needs to be more thought out and then i'm like how does david lynch make just like a light bulb in some guy's mouth so mean something that i don't like <laughs> what, what is the world behind that um so so those are a few of my standouts i, I i'm sure there's some that i'm that i'm missing but yeah those are the big ones I, it, it's just funny you mentioned the light bulb there was a meme i saw the other day that it's like 
yeah, apparently any most people can pit foot or fit sorry a, a light bulb inside their mouth but they can't pull it out again you have to actually bite it and break what? it apart to pull it out. <laughs> apparently this is the thing I, I read on the internet Lindsay. obviously it's obviously true. it's true um but that that when i saw when i saw it had that again uh yes or this morning i was like oh my god yes that's so creepy because now i'm just picturing that actor just chomping down on this light bulb or it's probably like a, a oh. fake one or something but uh <laughs> yeah yeah um yeah no i i yeah. agree and i i also loved the whole street scene with the prostitutes and uh yes. Laura Dern getting hunted down and murdered was just yeah. so incredible and i i actually really love um i Okay, it's a weird thing to say. I love the final scene where it's the homeless people talking. There's the uh, yes. Asian lady with Terry Crews yes. and mm-hmm. uh, the black girl um, talking Nido. about... Nido. It's, it's Nido. Nido. It's Nido. Nido, yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, talking about Pomona. Nido and Terry Crews is the power couple to end right? all <laughs> right? power It's couples. the Twin Peaks power couple. <laughs> I love it. Um, but yeah, and I, I love... I mean, I love that it's nonsensical and it's typical Lynch. They're talking on about stuff that doesn't seem to matter. Um Except for we see the two characters that they mentioned, the the woman without a leg and the woman with the blonde mm-hmm. hair with a hole in her vagina at the end of the movie. Um, mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I honestly love... And her monkey. Yeah, and her monkey, exactly. Um, but I, I love the, this scene more because uh, I read an essay, or it was a video, I think I sent to Lindsay, there was an analysis of Inland Empire that said this scene was the whole purpose of the movie. And I disagree entirely but I could totally see how you could interpret it that way. And that's why I love this scene because it reminds me constantly that this movie is so open to mm. interpretation. It defies, you know, anybody putting any sort of box around it that someone can watch the scene that to me feels like it's nothing. Um, it's just a long winded Lynch diatribe about, you know, ephemera. And then, you know, someone else can be like, Oh my God, that's it. I've uncracked, <laughs> you know, I've cracked open Inland Empire and I understand it now. <laughs> um, and so I, I love that scene. The, the, but the one that scares me the most, uh, every time is, uh, there's the clown superimposition and then Laura Dern running mm-hmm. up to the camera and her face is all fucked yep. up. Every time I literally have to watch it. When I see her start running towards the screen, I just cover my face cause I cannot watch <laughs> <laughs> it's almost not even the, the visual of that, but there's the sound it's that the goes sound. along with it. Well, she too, starts which screaming is, beforehand yeah. or something. Yeah, right? and, and it's the same yeah. as the, the the homeless person behind Winky's Diner in Mulholland Drive, yeah. which should not be as scary as it is, but it is because of the sound. And I think that's that marriage of the visuals and sound design that Lynch does so well that makes it so frightening because I've never been as scared as I have watching that scene or the Mulholland Drive scene. It's like Lynch has this ability to make these scenes so much more terrifying yeah because of the way he marries those mm-hmm. two the sound and visuals yeah sorry to interrupt no no and that's that's perfect like yeah like that one just always creeps me out i mean there was so many like yeah grace abrisky obviously was incredible for setting the weird ass tone that's coming for the rest of the movie um and yeah like the, there's stuff even in in poland i found um like when they there's only a couple shots where you can kind of tell it's supposed to be in like 1930s maybe Poland or something like that um like it's not until a car drove by and I'm like oh it's a old VW bug or something mm-hmm. like that um that was the first time I noticed uh, you know like the rest of it it's just it's uh it's striking for how modern he can make some of the, the things feel that are supposed to be old-timey and vice versa which is just you know typical lynch everything's set in the 50s for lynch kind of world except for you <laughs> maybe know. not everything well but it all has you know usually a 50s <laughs> aesthetic feel. yeah in some way or another so 
there is a, a deleted scene um which notably in on the dvds is referred to as more things that happen right and yep. there is um a scene where Sue, where Sue is talking to Mr. K, like the accountant-looking yep. kind of mm-hmm. dude, in the, in the, in the, at that desk, when she says, "I was 41 in 1960." Right. So, which is a hell of a thing to leave. <laughs> yeah, up. yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> uh, especially because if you like on, the on Sky and Blue Tomorrows, um, or on High and Blue Tomorrows, uh, it says 2005 right on the screen. Right. Yeah. So, um, so it's just one of those weird things that, like, even if he didn't include that in the actual film it's like he does have that odd way to like blue velvet where it's like is this 1950 yeah. or 1987 yeah. like i really really don't know yeah. or yeah. twin peaks oh, or man. any of that right yeah, so yeah exactly yeah. i love that scene with apparently the, all the oh, apparently i was gonna say so sorry real quick um mm-hmm. apparently all that stuff the more more things that happened um apparently that was all part of the original cut when this movie debuted i was reading um Oh. It made its debut mm. at some film festival in Poland or something. Um, and it was like a four and a half hour cut of the movie. Oh, Jesus. Which God. I can't yeah. even imagine what people must have been thinking at that, wow. at that screening. That would be yeah. incredible. That must have been incredible. We've never watched the deleted scenes. Nope. There's some shit. In there. Yeah. yeah oh, yeah. Imagine. Billy dies, like, for sure. You see his yeah. body. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, That's good to know. Um, yeah. Right, let's, did yeah. You no. Uh, I think the scene, the the interrogation scene, or or whatever, where yeah. uh, Laura Dern's character, um, I I always, it's so different. Yeah. Her mannerisms are different, and her accents a little stronger. Yeah. It's, and stuff. it's another yeah. character. I I don't even know. Yeah. It's not Sue. It's not Nikki. Like of the hundred characters Lordern must play in this film, <laughs> it's one of them. But yeah. I really, I always really appreciated that scene and, and really yeah. liked the, and I always felt it was important that that was important to understanding the yeah. film and and the the whole tagline a woman in trouble, you know I I can't remember if it was a, if it was an interview with Lynch, like that I watched or that I read, or if it wasn't even with Lynch at all, but um, something about the experience that Cheryl Lee had. Um, making mm-hmm. Twin Peaks and Fire Walk with Me specifically, um, and embodying Laura's character so fully, and how that affected her so deeply, and that that affected Lynch, and that that kind of influenced where he went with his female characters post Twin Peaks, and that um, Inland Empire kind of was at the time the last thing that he'd made. So it was people saw that and, and possibly even he saw that as like the end result of of his exploration of women in trouble that started with Cheryl Lee's portrayal of Laura um, Palmer. And so was that kind of kind of maybe Mary's in a bit with Aiden's interpretation of this as like a, a, a meditation on filmmaking and storytelling that, you know, yeah, because I, I think uh, I think it was Joel Bacco at one point. Uh, one of his dives into Twin Peaks, he kind of oh, uh, yeah, summed up that's the, right. the rest of Lynch uh, yeah. and how it all kind of tied back to uh, Firewalk with Me and Twin Peaks in some way. And uh, yeah, yes. and his, his point of view was that you know really at the end of the day, it was he kind of viewed the Lost Girl and Nikki slash Sue as the two halves of of uh, uh, Cheryl Lee. And, and Laura Palmer, Palmer, like meeting and having this this tender moment to say goodbye to one another, um, which is another interesting interpretation of that yeah. that scene too. So, I think there's a 
there, there, I mean, there's so much. There is so, so much. much. There is so much. We, honestly, if we had had 10 people on the show or 100 people, we'd have 100 different interpretations. And it's that's yep. what's brilliant about it. So, yeah, I mean, that. yeah, it's it's. It's great. Any other standout scenes for you? No. Or moments? No, no I, I was going to mention the Laura Dern face Ace. imposition, superimposition thing. Well, and then when she shoots uh, the Phantom at the yeah. end and it's all bubbly mm-hmm. and weird. There's a lot of really cool mean? visual stuff that happens, and it's it's yeah. it's meant to be disorienting, and I get that. I don't yeah. like it. This is what I mean. <laughs> I, aesthetically, I'm not a fan, but I appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, that works fine. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, connections back to Twin Peaks. I mean, I I think because you could view it as a Hollywood narration, the whole thing could be about the making of whatever it is, or the viewing of whatever, including Twin Peaks, um, but. Obviously, some more real connections. Grace Zabriskie, Laura Dern as Diane. Um, but there weren't any other uh, recurring actors in this one. Um, no, none of the usual Lynchian well, repertoire. Well, Harry, Harry Dean Stanton. Oh, Justin yes, Harry yeah. Dean. Yeah. Oh, yeah, Justin Thoreau. I forgot yeah. he was in Mulholland Drive. Yeah. 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 That's a good but, point. Yeah. Well, and, and Laura Elena Herring. Yeah, for one, yeah. one. Well, one and also in, right. in Rabbits. Oh yes, Scott she Cossie was, and yeah. Naomi Watts. So actually, okay. there are quite, there are quite a few. <laughs> when you really Good dive point. into it and <laughs> unpack it all, forgot um, about all those people. <laughs> I think more than anything, the the links with Twin Peaks are are thematic. Then, yeah. if if you want to look at it that way, and there are some interpretations that talk about the Phantom being maybe some kind of lodge spirit, and there are definitely some lodgy elements going on, like with the flashing lights at the end and um, the colors, the reds, the blues, the greens. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, one thing that I noticed maybe I noticed it the last time but I definitely noticed it this time was in that final scene when we got the Nina Simone uh, dance yeah. scene at the mm-hmm. end there's a, a like a woodsman almost sawing a log which was, yeah. was kind of yeah. cool so to the rhythm yeah yeah, yeah so that that maybe is some kind of yeah I mean yeah we Lindsay and I had a huge long discussion about well what is the what is the lodge space in this yeah. movie you know like and what I is the lodge space in all of Lynch like if if you know, you could tie Lodge Space into a lot of the films yeah. of David Lynch. Like, what does that actually represent? Is it a physical place or is it, you know, a place where, you know, it, a liminal space for us as well as the characters in, in whatever you're watching anyway? Yeah. Yeah. It, but yeah, I agree. It's mostly kind of a thematic um Because, yeah, I mean, it doesn't look like anything else. There's no, no. real... It's a very L.A. slash Poland <laughs> kind of you know vibe yeah. otherwise um what do you guys think yeah what, what are your thoughts I, i'd agree it's mostly thematic connections mm-hmm. um that i would draw but um yeah I, I i don't know i didn't find myself thinking much about twin peaks while i was watching this mm-hmm. uh there were a few moments where i uh, i i couldn't help but think of the the vibe of like part 18 yep. mm-hmm. and that sort of um, there. And it's not only in part 18 that you get that vibe in the return. You also get it. I think I, the only moment that's popping into my head is like Andy waiting um, for that dude who, who right. we don't really know whose name it is at four thirty. Like there's just this like somewhat of like a, um, like a, I don't know how to put it, like an overexposure that I get from right. that. And, but uh, also, the, you know, this, but thematically like the exploration of the self yeah. and 
and how one's own negativity is actually the seed that spawns all of the externalities that may torment someone Mm -hmm. and you may you may look outside to try and solve your problems but that is uh inherently futile because most if not all of the things that are wrong in one's life um, can be sourced from within Mm -hmm. and they can also be solved from within so whether you think that um nikki is the main character and she just sort of got lost in this character of sue or you think that sue is the main character who concocted this movie star version of herself Mm -hmm. um either way it 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 has you can draw a similarity to the variations of agent cooper or even the variations of laura palmer that you see because laura as a as a human in fire walk with me is equally sweet caring empathetic loving uh, and then also sociopathic yeah. and violent and uh, nihilistic and depraved. Mm-hmm. So she and, and she, I think, understands that fundamentally more than or at least she Laura, Laura Palmer as a character uh, explores that within herself, probably uh, as well, if not more than any other character in, in a Lynch film. Yeah. So I, I've I. I I see the shades of that. And I think that maybe myself or people like us who, who for some reason or another latch onto these, these, these films and, and these, and this, uh, this filmmaker, um, maybe there's something, uh, enticing about that. Mm-hmm. Um, I know there is for me, this idea of like, um, trying to get at the heart of who I actually am. Right. And, uh, I don't feel like I know. Uh, and I feel like sometimes, um, the, the exploration into oneself through meditation or through uh, psychedelic drugs, if you're into that kind of thing, can be very jarring mm-hmm. uh, and can be very exposing emotionally. And that's what I think you see in with these characters, like in Twin Peaks and in Mulholland Drive and in Inland Empire. Right. Um, you see, you see characters looking in a mirror uh, and seeing a, a reflection that that grinds up against their own perception of themselves. And then the, the sorting out of that process can be horrific. And I think that's kind of what we, what we see with a lot of these, these kind of like more jarring uh, visceral moments in these films. Mm-hmm. They're sort of little, um, I, at least I know I can draw them back to some, some stark realizations that I've made just, just through meditation and through this, these, little these little processes mm-hmm. and so um yeah that's and, and of course like you'll film i mean uh lynch is a, is a, that type of filmmaker too where you you can kind of see um there's there's so many through lines um and you can see that he he's not bothered by that either right. i don't think he's sort of inspired by his own process that continues to evolve and um i ultimately do think that he makes these films not necessarily for himself, but be but because of that um, that itch that he gets, right. and that he he creates them to fruition um, to fulfill that itch, and then we it just it's just a formula that happens to work. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure there are other filmmakers that do that, and then none of us give a shit. <laughs> so um, why it works for David Lynch, I think he's, it just does. I don't know. Cool. It worked for the Beatles. It worked for Lynch. Mm-hmm. Who knows? There you go. Hmm. Yeah, as far as connections to Twin Peaks go, um, 
I think you can really only make them in a very broad general sense. Yeah. You know, there's this, you know, there's this trope of the the woman in trouble that you guys pointed out before. Um, but other than that, honestly, I don't really, I don't really see much comparison. I actually, this time around, I watched it specifically with those questions in mind and trying to make connections to Twin Peaks and ultimately came up pretty empty handed, yeah. to be honest with you. Um, but I, I do agree generally that this movie just explores a lot of the same territory that Lynch typically explores, and that includes Twin Peaks, you know, like obviously the duality of the self and um, all that sort of all that sort of stuff that we talk about uh, all the time with regards to Lynch. But um, yeah, I, I honestly don't find too much in the way of specifics to connect it to Twin Peaks. Yeah, no, that's totally which fair. is fair because yep. I think it's it's unlike anything else that Lynch well, really did. But it's also very much. Like but it's <laughs> very much like Lynch. Yeah, it's the duality yeah. of Lynch, guys. That's yeah. what that's what our podcast mm. should have been called: <laughs> the duality of Lynch. <laughs> It'll be fine. So, so I think that'll bring an end to our discussion. It is um, a huge movie. We could have talked about it for six hours. I think we could literally just be like, "Oh, let's talk about symbol X." Yes. What do you, what, how does this work? Right. And what do you think? But um, I think we've got a good holistic discussion of, of um, the film and, and it's how it operates or doesn't operate and how it's just very open to interpretation. Um, I don't think there's too much more point in going over the specifics at this point. But so, it would be great to get more... Yeah, uh, more viewpoints. Viewpoints yeah. and feedback from listeners. So if you are listening and you like, vehemently oh. disagree with one of us, uh, <laughs> sound off on Twitter or uh, Facebook or email, which is a great segue for us to uh, ask Nick, Dylan, how can our listeners find you guys on the internet? Uh, well... You can find our podcast, uh, you know, on Apple Podcasts or pretty much wherever you find podcasts on Spotify. We're hosted on Fireside. You can go there as well. If you want to email us, you can do so at 119podcast at gmail.com. Uh, on Twitter, you can find us at 119podcast. And um, that's about it. We're not on Facebook or Instagram or anything like that. So that pretty <laughs> much covers it. Cool. And definitely, guys, like, listen to 119 Podcast. They they have some amazing analysis of the return, and um, we dearly hope that you continue on with the podcast now that you've finished your, your look at the run of uh, Twin Peaks The Return. Do you have anything uh, planned upcoming that, that you'll be going into next? Uh, well, we're definitely going to be talking about Firewalk with me. Cool. That is definitely going to happen. And, um, it sounds like we're probably going to have a pretty cool guest, uh, for that discussion. Um, beyond that, we're still, we, we, uh, we have some ideas brewing, uh, but nothing is quite set in stone yet, but, um, we will definitely be letting people know when and if those plans come to fruition. So watch this space. We are likely not disappearing. (laughs) Very cool. Yes. No, we're... We're not totally done yet. Awesome. Well, that's good news for for all of us who love podcasts because, uh, yeah, it's it's just great to have these kinds of conversations and and smart people saying smart things about things that we love. Um, It's always good. It's always good. Absolutely. Nick, Dylan, thanks so much for coming on our show today uh, to discuss uh, a very challenging and difficult 
uh, punishing, I think, was one of the words that we used to describe it, a punishing film. Um, you, I think we did, a, we did a great job, and it's all thanks to you guys. So thanks again so much. Thank you, guys. Oh, with pleasure. It was a blast. Thank you again to uh, Dylan and Nick from 119 Podcast. They were great guests. Yeah. On, and I'm so glad they were here for Inland Empire. Oh, totally. Yeah, you and I would have just... Ooh. It's always fun to have other people on the show and to see how um, seamlessly we all just kind of blend together. It's like con- <laughs> conversing with old friends, yeah. which is great because most of these people we've never met face to face. And I think that that's the beauty of podcasting, yeah. um, that we we all have this shared interest and this shared vision for what we do and we understand it and, and we just roll with it and it's great. Um, so yeah, I can't thank them enough for that. Yeah. And uh, speaking of podcasting yeah um as Lindsay mentioned we did take a bit of a break uh for the reasons she talked about at the top of the episode um and in that time we we had a bit of a think about where we're going next and uh we had always kind of had plans of to continue doing a podcast um after we'd wrapped up all the lynch and frost stuff um and i think we're kind of now approaching that point where we're ready to move on and, and do something a little different so we we talked a little bit about um the the direction we wanted to go and um, some of the things that might change over the next couple of months. Um, we're not 100% sure we're ready to go down that course just yet. We're not abandoning the podcast, but we're definitely putting a pin in things briefly. We'll say for a couple of months we're going to be revamping some things, um, looking at looking at our options for hosting, for example, and maybe coming up with a website design. And, and those are things that take a lot of time and effort. And uh, with our full-time jobs, it's, it's hard to do that and also record and edit um, the kind of quality stuff that you've come to expect from us, which is very low quality, let's, yeah, let's, let's be honest. Let's, but You're not expecting a whole <laughs> lot, but just to, for us to reach even that level, we've got to work really hard. So, uh, But uh, one of the directions that we, we've been talking about going in, um, which we mentioned last summer, uh, was to maybe look at Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. And there was a lot of interest in the community for uh, from people inexplicably. We, we can't fathom why people would want to hear us talk about Shakespeare but um, it's something we're both very passionate about as English majors and uh, yeah. it's another direction that, that we've always kind of talked about talked and about and wanted to go in so there's very few things Lindsay and I actually enjoy talking about together yeah. uh, we found one of them in Twin Peaks and I think another one Shakespeare we yeah. it's one of the few things we both enjoy watching and talking about and discussing and stuff so uh, so if that is where we go it may involve a little bit of rebranding as well mm-hmm. so um, all of that will be communicated to everybody uh, via Twitter or Facebook wherever you follow us um, we hope that you will stick around and um, still enjoy the stuff that we're talking about and hopefully we'll um, maybe convert a few of you into Shakespeare lovers because that would be, that would be amazing. The, the most amazing thing in the world. Um, but if not, if not, we, we, we've enjoyed the ride so far and we hope yeah. that you have too. Um, clearly if you've listened to the end of our Inland Empire analysis, you must yeah, you're like something hardcore, about yeah. us. Hardcore Bicklets. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> I don't know. That's not a thing. That's I'm, I'm going to make it a thing. No, don't. Anyway. Um, from us to you, we wish you a Merry Christmas mm-hmm. and uh, or Happy Holidays, whatever it is that you celebrate. And uh, we will be back in the new year at some point with um, 
new material yeah and a new direction and yeah we hope to see you there along with us hear you they'll hear us they'll see us they'll see us they'll see us online doing things (laughs) whatever you say dear If you're enjoying the show and want to join the conversation, you can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash bickeringpeaks, all one word. You can also follow us on Twitter, that's at bickeringpeaks. Or you can head over to iTunes and leave us a review or comment. We'd love to hear from you.